Hey everyone, just a quick little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available now wherever you get your books and ebooks. If you head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, you can get 25% off. Thanks so much. once said, we cannot share this sorrow if we haven't grieved a while, nor can we feel another's joy until we've learned to smile. Welcome to the 118th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember how our suffering and our grief can eventually help connect us to our sisters and brothers and give us the perspective we need to walk alongside them and understand them like no one else. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. A Stanford University star soccer player recently died by suicide, and I wanted to bring this to our attention first so we can pray for her and her family, and to highlight the importance of fighting for quality mental health services for our sisters and brothers in college and and in high-intensity athletics. We'll start with CNN for some background. Stanford University soccer star uh, Katie Meyer died by suicide, her mother told NBC's Today Show during an emotional interview on Friday. Meyer, a senior who helped secure the 2019 NCAA championship title for the Cardinal, was found dead in her dorm room on Tuesday, according to the university. The last couple of days are like a parent's worst nightmare, and you don't wake up from it. It's just so horrific. Gina Meyer, Katie's mother, said in a taped interview. The Meyers told NBC they spoke to their daughter just hours before she died. Quote, she was excited and she had a lot on her plate and she had a lot going on, but she was happy. She was in great spirits, Gina Meyer said. She was the usual jovial Katie, added Katie's father, Stephen Meyer. Gina Meyer acknowledged that the pressure to be perfect and the best could induce anxiety, but the only thing we can come up with that triggered something, she said, was some form of disciplinary action at school. Katie recently had defended a teammate on campus over an incident, and she was facing repercussions because of it. Her parents said, pointing to, her, uh, pointing to that as the possible turning point for their daughter. Student athletes live with the same demands as regular college students, like maintaining their grades and social lives and staying connected with their families, but they also face pressure to perform on the field or on the court, demanding practice and workout schedules, traveling, and for those with high profile, scrutiny from the public and fans on social and in traditional media. And on top of all that, a stigma persists in the sports world around mental health, discussing it, seeking treatment, and perhaps in doing so, revealing what could be perceived as a weakness, experts say. Well, let's start by praying together for Katie, for her soul to be at peace, resting in the arms of our Lord, and for her family, for healing, comfort, and peace as they move through the grief process. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. 
I wanted to talk about this situation for two reasons. First, I want to ensure that we all know how important it is for us to work for good mental health support for our loved ones in college and in athletics. These are two areas where mental health services seem to lag behind so often and having easy access to care is so absolutely vital. Next, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that Katie was in great spirits and and her normal excited self right before this happened. I really want to remind us all how important it is to continue to check in on our loved ones, continue to reach out to them and offer support no matter how they might seem to be on the outside. It's always a good idea because what we observe on the outside may not always align with how someone is feeling on the inside. Let's just keep praying for Katie and for her family and spend some time today to pray for other people we may know who have died by suicide, that God welcomes them to heaven in his mercy and love, and that we can create a world where hopelessness is met with support and compassion so no one ever has to feel alone again. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm going to introduce you to Saint Clement Mary Hofbauer. Born in 1751 in present-day Czech Republic, he was the ninth of 12th children. His father was a butcher who died when Clement was just six years old. He was too poor to go to seminary, but the local parish priest began to teach him Latin at home. The local parish priest also died, however, and left Clement without anyone to help him in his studies. Without a way to learn and without money, he turned to the trade of baking and ended up getting a baking job with the Norbertines. As Wikipedia notes, at that time, the effects of war and famine were sending many homeless and hungry people to the Priory for help. He worked day and night to feed the poor people who came to the Priory door, and he worked as a servant at the Priory until 1775. So after a pilgrimage to Rome in 1782, he decided to become a hermit and helped out assisting pilgrims who came to the shrine he found himself at. He eventually returned to the Norbertine Priory to bake and was given the money he needed to enter seminary by a local woman he met while serving mass at the cathedral. He ended up joining the Redemptorists, and I think his story is such an important one for us as it shows how a life of grief and not being able to have access to the life we think we're called to can truly form us to be an incredible disciple of Christ. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Glorious God, our God of care and compassion for humanity, you filled St. Clement Mary Hofbauer with a special zeal for the well-being of people, especially those who are poor or troubled in spirit. In St. Clement, you revealed the richness of your loving kindness and mercy. Through his intercession, help us to remain true to the Catholic faith, which he so nobly taught. Let us walk in the path that St. Clement marked out by his own life. Hear and answer us, God, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Alex gets us started. I'm not sure if you've covered it, but can you talk about how grief doesn't leave? Let's start by joining together in prayer for Alex and all of us experiencing the piercing pain of grief for a community of support, for moments of joy to be interspersed with our grief and for peace in our hearts. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Time heals all wounds, one of the biggest lies we often hear when facing grief after the death of a loved one, or even worse, when someone asks why you're still grieving since the loss happened so long ago. As Alex mentioned, grief doesn't leave. I want to start with griefcounselor.org here. Time is not a healer. The passage of time may take the edge off of acute pain, but does not heal pain. On the other hand, time can be used well for healing purposes. When time is used well in terms of healing wounds, then it is because we do something specific with and within it. We take time and shape it in order to do inner work. It is inner work coupled with courage and honesty that heals all wounds. So back to me, as you mentioned, Alex, grief never leaves. It's always there. And while it may change over time or be experienced in a slightly different way as we move through our life, it's always there. The question then becomes, how do we manage it? And how do we help our loved ones continue to move through the grief process in the healthiest way possible? Okay, back to the grief counselor website. We have to be careful about pushing people to let go or forget. In fact, grief is a natural and unlearned healing process. People wanting to be helpful to those who are grieving do not give pat answers to profound questions. They do less advising and more listening. They understand the meaning of memories. Memories are not dead. Memories are alive and dynamic. Memories help people retain their needed connection to the deceased. The old idea about grief was that we should encourage people to cut their ties and move on. Well, it doesn't usually really work that way. People need to feel free to remember and grieve. As friends, we need to provide a safe place for people who are mourning, a place where they can feel the intensity and depth of their feelings without being judged or pushed by someone else with an agenda. Perhaps the reason it's so hard for us to forget the people we love is because we are not designed to forget the people we love, but we are pressured to do so by others who may be well-intentioned but not understanding. And back to me, this is exactly why it's so important for those of us grieving to accept our feelings, whatever they may be about our grief. There is no right way or wrong way to grieve. There is no length of time that it should happen or magical date where we shouldn't be feeling it anymore. It's different for each person. And we really have to come to accept that and live with that reality, both as those grieving and as those helping those of us who continue to grieve. So we'll keep up the prayers. Lydia is up next. I have a question and hope you can help me. My nine-year-old son was diagnosed with ADHD and he goes to therapy twice a week. He's been in therapy for about a year and a half. Last night, he told me that in his brain, he has been getting the word suicide a few times a day. Do you have some resources that I can use to help my son? Well, let's start by praying for Lydia, her son, and everyone else experiencing similar situations for comfort, peace, and safety. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First off, I want to say what a blessing it is that you've been so supportive and helping your son, you know, getting him linked to therapy and getting connected to help. It's such a loving thing that you've done and you deserve a pat on the back. And I would point out how important it is to bring this up to your son's therapist. I'm sure you have, but just so everyone can hear it so they can be aware if they aren't already and update the treatment plan to reflect this symptom. Next, I want to take a look at Child Mind Institute for some thoughts on what's going on. When kids start thinking and talking about suicide, it's usually because they're depressed and considering making a suicide attempt. That's serious and needs to be treated right away. 
But some kids who have intrusive thoughts of suicide are actually terrified of those thoughts and have no plans to attempt suicide. These are kids who have OCD. Their brains are telling them things like, you should stab yourself with a knife, but they don't want to do that at all. They fear the thought they're having. For these kids, intrusive thoughts of suicide are symptoms of OCD. And when a child tells their parents about scary things like these, two things can happen that don't help. The parent might try to make the the child feel better by saying something like, don't say that, you have a great life, you don't want to kill yourself. That makes a kid with OCD feel better for a minute or two, but then the thoughts come back. They look to their parents over and over to make them feel safe, and this cycle just makes OCD worse. The other thing that doesn't help is when parents or therapists misunderstand these worries as feelings that the child wants to commit suicide. The child may be wrongly diagnosed and hospitalized. They don't get the treatment they need for their OCD. And also, their suicidal fears get reinforced because everyone around them is treating them as if they really will attempt suicide. Treatment for kids with intrusive suicidal thoughts is the same as with other symptoms of OCD. Kids are taught that their fears are really the OCD talking. Therapists help them to learn to talk back to the OCD. They're also treated with therapy called exposure and response prevention. Kids are gently exposed to what scares them, and little by little, the scary thoughts go away. Kids feel much better when they learn to recognize intrusive thoughts and can tell them, hey, back off. So back to me, an intrusive thought can be something as simple as the word suicide popping into our head, and that word causes us a great deal of fear. We worry that it might say something about us, it might be true, and we do anything and everything to find relief from this, seeking reassurance or doing a task that brings some relief. But as mentioned, that seems to reinforce the thought. Labeling the thought as an intrusive thought or as OCD can be a big help. No judgment, just that's my intrusive thought talking and trying to leave it at that. As mentioned, exposure and response prevention is extremely helpful for symptoms like this. And there are even workbooks that can provide some help on how to get started before someone gets connected to a therapist who knows how to do this work. And even free worksheets online. Just Google OCD workbook and have a look at what might be the most useful. We'll be praying for you. Anonymous wraps us up. Is there ever a realistic situation where someone is completely responsible for their own suicide, making it a mortal sin, and goes to hell? Let's pray for Anonymous, for anyone experiencing suicidal ideation, for the souls of everyone who has ever died by suicide, and for the families of those who have died by suicide. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. I think the topic of suicide is something we have to talk about in our church and our world, especially when it comes to what our church actually teaches about our loved ones who die by suicide. So we'll start with the catechism. Paragraphs 2282 and 2283 is where I'm getting this from. Grave psychological disturbances, anguish, or grave fear of hardship, suffering, or torture can diminish the responsibility of the one committing suicide. And we should not despair of the eternal salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. By ways known to him alone, God can provide the opportunity for salutary repentance. The church prays for persons who have taken their own lives. So back to me. So as an advocate of mental health care, I speak out quite a lot about this part of the catechism and the importance of remembering this and noting that most of our loved ones who died by suicide 
experienced grave psychological disturbances, anguish, fear of hardship and suffering. And because of that, it would seem to me that most individuals who die by suicide have diminished responsibility. It's hard for me to envision the God who loves us enough to become human and die for us, who knows us deeper than we know ourselves and who desires our salvation to cast aside souls who die in this manner. Now, it's important for me to say here, number one, I'm not an expert on theology and I do not speak on behalf of the church or formal church teaching. And number two, I just want to be careful here because while I find what I just said to be extremely helpful in terms of thinking about the potential salvation of our loved ones who have died by suicide, I in no way want to make it sound like I'm saying, therefore, suicide is okay or morally neutral because God will automatically understand and welcome everyone into heaven who dies in this manner. While it may be difficult for me to envision a situation where culpability isn't diminished based on the criteria in the catechism, I don't think it's a 100% impossible scenario. I instead would want to underscore the fact that you are not alone, that there is help available, and that even though things can feel absolutely helpless and like there's no escape from our pain and suffering, there's always hope. And I want us all to work to create a community that helps everyone know that someone can be there to hold the hope when we aren't feeling it. While God, by ways known only to God, can certainly save the souls of loved ones who have died by suicide, and God, I pray that he does for every person. We have to work for a church and a world that responds to suicide by talking about it, creating communities of support, and helping people access the care they need whenever they need it. Please, if you are listening and have been experiencing suicidal ideation, text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to get connected to help. And please, know that you are worthy of every good thing, worthy of life. God loves you and we love you and we'll be praying for you moving forward. Your worth doesn't depend on what you can or can't do. It doesn't depend on if you can work or if you have good social relationships or if you have mental health symptoms or not. Your worth doesn't depend on any of that. Your worth depends on who you are. And no matter what, you are always a person deserving dignity, respect, life, love, and support. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves, and if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you, and so will St. Dymphna. St. Dymphna.